It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the ninth episode of the What If Football World Cup 2022 Daily Podcast. The first round of group stage matches are out of the way. Brazil were Brazilian. Portugal eked a win. Uruguay weren't so much at the races. And Switzerland got off to a good start. We've seen all 32 teams now. Who will win it? Well, let's find out and get stuck straight in. Of course, we will be right by your side throughout the entirety of the World Cup, not just with this daily podcast on the Sports Social Podcast Network, anywhere where you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. But we are delivering daily podcasts on Patreon, looking at great games of the history of the FIFA World Cup. That's 6am every morning. We've also got YouTube content through Combined 11s and Predictors, on the YouTube Shorts platform and we've also got Football Manager 2023 challenges of an international persuasion and of course our bread and butter being alternate football histories and universes through what if videos on YouTube as well. And there was only one place we could really start on day five of the 2022 FIFA World Cup and it was at the Lucille Stadium on Thursday evening with the introduction finally, finally, of 
Brazil, the favourites, the most immaculate of World Cup teams, the most decorated of World Cup teams. And there were two questions going into this first game of the World Cup. Was it going to be four or five attack-minded players and would Thiago Silva start alongside Marquinhos? The answers were five attacking players and yes, Thiago Silva would start and yes, he was as perfect and pristine as he tends to be even at his ripe old age now. And the five attacking players meant that Lucas Pacquiao joined Casemiro in midfield but more so alongside the names of Rafinha, Neymar, Richarlison, Vinicius. Names that just roll off the tongue just like the class of O2 did for Brazil with the likes of Roberto Carlos, Cafu, Rivaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, etc, etc. But Brazil weren't the only team in this match, of course. It was Serbia, predictably in with a back three, back five, Dusan Tadic playing off Alexander Mitrovic. Unfortunately, no Filip Kostic at left wing back. He is still recovering from an injury. And uh, Serbia off the ball, they played in quite an aggressive to say they were playing Brazil. Uh, a 3-5-2 with the wing backs incredibly high. It did leave a lot of uh, defensive work on uh, Pavlovic and Milenkovic, who I felt were played quite well, to be fair. They were putting themselves out quite a bit. Um, they were leaving spaces in behind, but Serbia were absolutely restless in defence. And uh, at least for the first hour, absolutely perfect in defence as well. In opposition to those half spaces were the likes of Rafinha and Vinicius. Vinicius was easily, until he got taken off, Brazil's most dangerous player. Rafinha had the best chances as well. And in terms of Serbia, the game was about control, attempting to nullify any Brazilian attacks. The goalkeeper had a fairly decent game sweeping up, had a couple of mistakes here and there, but uh, for the most part did okay. Couldn't really do anything with the, with the uh, breakthrough goal. To be fair, it was a good save. And uh, Goodell in uh, midfield, Unfortunately, he had to be taken off because he was on a yellow card and running a bit of a risk, but I thought he was excellent in midfield too. They did allow Brazil some chances, but all in all, really, until the game became out of uh, their reach, thanks to an absolutely sumptuous second goal. For me, the best goal of the tournament so far. Um, Serbia were absolutely superb defensively. The one thing they really lacked, as though you thought they could bring it, was a powerful counter. They did go at 1-0 down to a Vlahovic and uh, Mitrovic pairing and a back four, but uh, soon enough, the game was quelled. They were coming back into the game. They had a prolonged period of pressure, probably about 5-10 minutes, which is uh, quite a long time if you're playing Brazil. But of course, that was ended by... Richarlison and his overhead kick, which was beautiful. It was absolutely sensational. Came from a rebound off, uh, came from a uh, cross from uh, the left-hand side, took a touch, adapted himself well, steadied himself, and an absolutely brilliant, brilliant overhead kick that uh, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic couldn't save. It, it, it was equal to pretty much everything else. I mean, a couple of uh, Brazil chances flew over the bar, whistle pass a post, Casemiro hit the bar as well. Um, but for anything that was on target, he was usually at it. And uh, the first goal, he saved Vinicius' opening shot, only for Richarlison to uh, be right there where he was, uh, where he was needed. And uh, all in all, Brazil 2, Serbia 0, the history books will tell uh, the story of quite a comfortable opening to the 2022 World Cup 
for the Seleção, but for the first hour, it was anything but really. So Brazil, they pressed in a 4-2-4. Lucas Paquetá could certainly break from that pivot, though, alongside Casemiro to make it an uh, incredible 4-1-5 formation. The fullbacks for Brazil don't necessarily tend to flood forward, so it's not as if it's ultra, ultra attacking. It's not the levels of a 2-3-5 or anything like that that big big teams tend to play in club football. So the back four usually stays as is. You might get them shuffling up forward a little bit, but not too much. It's not Cafu and Roberto Carlos bombing down the wings. So they are resolute enough defensively. They've got enough cover. And uh, Casemiro gets around the pitch. He's able to deliver long balls, which is um, a facet of the game. that He doesn't tend to show too much, but uh, he has got it in his locker, as he showed. Um, there were flashes of attack attacks for the Brazilian team. You probably would say off the basis of an all-round performance, maybe, maybe that France, England and Spain maybe edge it in terms of an all-round attacking display. But let's be real, Serbia are the strongest of the opponents that each of these four front runners so far um, have played. They are definitely a level above the likes of Australia, Iran and Costa Rica, certainly Costa Rica. Um, it was a frantic start to the game for, for both teams, really. Settled into Brazilian control around the 20th minute mark, much like we've seen from a lot of the bigger teams so far. A goalless first half, again, something we've seen from quite a lot of the bigger teams so far. They did look to stretch the pitch with their high and wide attackers in Vinicius and Rafinha. It didn't tend to work. They did try to coax the Serbian wing-backs out. It didn't work because the wide centre-backs of Pavlovic and Milenkovic were covering absolutely brilliantly. Um, and as I mentioned, Casemiro and even Thiago Silva, they were going quite long when needed into those wide spaces. And by the second half, Vinicius Junior was getting more and more joy. He looked the most dangerous Brazilian player for the for the most part of the game. Neymar wasn't dropping. Neymar was dro probably dro dropping off a bit too much. He was uh, probably at his best when he was right alongside Richarlison in that half space, leaving the uh, leaving Milenkovic with a question of should I go out to Vinicius or should I stay in with. Uh, with Neymar, it's uh, a huge conundrum to face from a, uh, a wide centre half. And uh, when that happened earlier on in the in the second half, Brazil had their best flow with the game and led to their first goal. Of course, Vinicius on the left half space curls one into the bottom corner, saved by Milinkovic Savic, but Richarlison pounced on the rebound and really it was only a matter of time before that goal came. Serbia, albeit resolutely, and I think they can hold their heads up high after this performance against what is one of the front runners, one of the favourites, and Brazil really rubber-stamped that tag because, yes, it's only 2-0, it's not a 4-1, it's not 7-0, it's not 6-2 against lesser opposition, but a 2-0 win of uh, a team that really should be getting out of the group stages this time it is um, a great result. For Brazil and uh, a win against Switzerland next will put things really on, really beyond doubt. And let's be fair, in terms of level of opposition, Brazil are the best we've seen. Um, an all-round good performance did take a while to get going, but sometimes these things do, particularly against uh, top-level opposition. And um, they, they won't mind one bit. It was a 2-0 win uh, towards the end. Comfortable. The Olays were out towards the end. He could have had a couple more goals. Alexandro hit the post. Rodrigo looked on fire when he came on. And it's really that squad depth up front. Anthony, Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli as well. Yeah, it's just scary for any team that's uh, faced them. But the, the flip side, of course, is when looking at 
the uh, the rest of the draw, it looks as though it could be Spain in the quarterfinals, which could become in high state, high pressure stakes, could become a flip of the coin situation. But positivity should remain. Brazil will likely get nine points from nine in this group, having seen what we've seen here. In terms of Serbia, well, it's Cameroon next. They need a win to take into what is Group G's showdown, essentially the next, well, the next important match of the group, because you suspect that they can beat Cameroon defensively. They were very good tonight, and um, Cameroon should be uh, no match for them. In terms of Switzerland, we all know. The showdown went the way of the Swiss last time out in 2018. And I think Serbia have grown a lot in the past four years. The result was 2-0 against Brazil in 2018. Yes, um, it's far less comfortable here for Brazil, although they um, they did, by the end of things, uh, put on a bit of a show for us. And after this short break, we'll take a look at the other game from Group G, where we started it all off on Thursday morning. Switzerland versus Cameroon. Stick around. Welcome back. Who can forget how we started day five at this 2022 FIFA World Cup? None other than Switzerland won, Cameroon zero. And the major team news heading into the game was Nico Elvedi beating Fabian Scher to a centre-half role and what seemed an exciting quartet of Gibraltar. Vargas, Ruben Vargas there, Braille Mbolo and Jordan Shakiri. Granite Xhaka was adopting positions that he'd often find himself in at Arsenal. So it was tended to be more of a 4-3-3 alongside So as opposed to a 4-2-3-1 double pivot with Xhaka and Remo Freuler. Forrest Remo Freuler in there as well. Um, but mainly, at least for the first half, Cameroon were... We're far the better team, it has to be said. Uh, Vincent Abubakar, hero of AFCON, golden boot winner from AFCON, misses out for the uh, triumvirate of Brian Embuemo, Brentford's Brian Embuemo on the right, Carl Tokui Kambi on the left, and the inform Eric Maxim Chupomoting through the middle. Cameroon were more of a 4 1 4 1 off the ball, sprung into attack on the transition in a 4 3 3 with likes of Tokui Cambian and Buemo flinging themselves forward. And you've got to say, in the first half, Cameroon were far and away the better team. They were organised a lot better defensively than Switzerland. They broke well on the counter as well. And they had the majority of the better game, majority of the better chances in the game in the um, in the first half. He had a, a double chance save from from Mbuemo, and then Toko Kambi skewed it over, unfortunately. And then Jupomotin goes close on the counter. Most attacks were coming down the left. Toko Kambi was was incredibly dangerous when Sylvan Vidma um, went upfield to uh, join the attacks for a Swiss team that were really controlling the ball, but were really quite narrow and unimaginative. They needed Vidma to create that width on the right and uh, Cameroon exploited that in the first half quite well. Um, although Cameroon, they were intricate at times from the uh, from the right. I thought Brian and Buemo had a, quite a decent game. All three of the front line, really, for the indomitable Lions had a, had a decent go at it. And um, really, in terms of their sitting in, Zambo Anguisa, as we uh, as we know, he's quite a good box-to-box midfielder, having a great season for an informed Napoli this time round. Um, but he was more playing a screening role as opposed to that box-to-box role. Of course, with the desperation that came in the second half, he would fling himself a bit more 
further forward as uh, Cameroon became a lot more porous in that second half, demoralised, of course, after the goal from Braille in Bolo. And uh, really, with Van Guisa performing that number six role, the pivot role, um, Cameroon were a lot sturdier. They were a lot um, better equipped to deal with uh, with Switzerland on the... Uh, well, Switzerland mainly had the ball in the first half. Then it came a bit more of a uh, end-to-end game in the second with both Switzerland countering quite well. They they stepped up their game significantly um, in the second half. And that was a lot to do with getting out of the blocks early in the second half, scoring that goal and demoralising the Cameroonians, unfortunately. They were unimaginative in the first half. They were very narrow as well. Um, they did look far more dangerous, even in the first half in transitional moments, but they were they were rare in the first 45. Defensively, they were okay. Vidmo had to be very... <laughs> he had to be on his toes to stop a certain Cal Turkoy Cambi goal. And um, so too at the other end, really. Castelletto made an incredible amount of last-ditch saves, really in defence to... Uh, Stopped Braylon Bolo. He also stopped Harris Seferovic as well towards the end of the game, which could become crucial. A 2-0 loss in this group may be a, um, a huge difference to a 1-0 defeat, of course, with Cameroon, with Serbia and Brazil to come. Potentially the two bigger teams in the group. We'll see as this, uh, as this group rumbles on, of course. Um, Switzerland, the threat was always there from set pieces. Um, the good old tournament get-out clause, I, I suppose. Manuel Kanji went close with a header, and um, essentially they started off the second half firing out of the blocks on all cylinders. A couple of uh, switching-offs from the Cameroon defence allowed Jordan Shakiri to find Braylon Bolo in the box. Simple enough, 1-0 um, scoreline, really, towards the end. Um, I was fairly disappointed with Ruben Vargas on the left. Uh, his poor passing decisions sometimes should have made it 2-0, really, uh, halfway through the second half to kill the game off, but um, he couldn't find... He, 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 his shot was far too close to Andre Onana, and um, the Cameroonian goalkeeper was... Uh, Fairly fortunate to save it, cannoned back off his face, but uh, there we are. And Mbolo failed to uh, score from the resulting corner thanks to a superb bit of defending from Anguisa. So the Cameroonians, you've got to say, good in defence for the most part, although with desperation, they did look a lot more porous when they needed to go and get the goal. They were, they were performing a lot better, sitting in and then springing off from the counter-attack. And you feel as though this, for Cameroon, this is going to be a World Cup where the first goal is absolutely of paramount importance the the heads didn't they, they didn't go completely after the goal but you could see it crushed them a little bit and uh, Switzerland knowing that they could just sit in now and then spring on the counter-attack themselves where they're probably more dangerous let's be honest and that's how Switzerland will qualify from this group if they are to do so those swift counter-attacks and um, still proving there is life in Switzerland yet yeah, everybody sings sings the praises of uh, Serbia, but Switzerland, they've been in the knockout stages of the past God knows how many tournaments for good reason. And um, it is because they have the experience as well now backed up with uh, some youngsters upfield and um, good counter-attacking football, which may come in handy more so against Brazil and Serbia than it did do today against, um, against Cameroon here. And um, by the end, you've got to say, with um, Switzerland's chances in the second half, they probably did enough to merit merit the win. And we even had time for Harry Seferovic to miss that absolute sitter that we mentioned earlier. And it wouldn't be an international tournament without Seferovic missing chance after chance. Our boy um, kind of... Uh, <laughs> 
kind of uh, whittled away his reputation by scoring some couple of uh, couple of uh, important goals against France in the Euros. But he's still our boy. He's still our boy. <laughs> Frustrating as he is, he's no longer a starter. That's uh, Raylan Bolo. Thankfully, it does make Switzerland a lot more uh, a lot more pleasing on the eye as well um, going forward. And Switzerland really they did they desperately needed this win going into the two big games in this group. First Brazil and then what looks like it could be a mouthwatering final match day decider with um with Serbia there and Cameroon as I mentioned you fear for them if they score if they concede early against Brazil or Serbia um their game mainly is um a very good counter-attacking play and if they remain defensively organized which kind of went out of the window when Anguisa pushed forward a little bit yes his strengths are going forward um in my opinion but in this team if he's asked to play, if he's asked to play in the pivot, I think that's the best for the team. Even though his strengths lie probably elsewhere. And going forward, Cameroon are blessed with a lot of attacking talents. You know, they might not be at the level of Samuel Eto of years gone by, but still quite a good front three with uh, bright faces off the bench as well. Vincent Abubakar and uh, and Kudu, I thought, could have been brought on a little bit earlier to salvage the game, but. Cameroon, they'll they'll be good on the counter-attack. It's just about whether or not they score that first goal, and that could play a lot into whether they go through or not. Unfortunately, this was their eighth consecutive World Cup defeat, and even Samuel Eto still got three of Cameroon's last four goals. Um, of course, a couple in, two, in 2010, and the winner against Saudi Arabia in 2002, which was, of course, the Indomitable Lions' final victory in the World Cup. They'll be hoping for more next time. And now we move on to Group H, where we start proceedings by looking at Uruguay versus South Korea, and then a little bit later on, the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to football in action after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Short break. Welcome back. And the next of the four games came from Group H. And we got a little glimpse into Uruguay as they met South Korea in Education City Stadium, hoping to school the South Koreans. And in the end, a placid 
nil-nil draw. For the Uruguayans, Ronaldo Rujo missed out through injury, as was to be expected, and the width was provided by Facundo Palistra, despite recording zero senior minutes for Manchester United. Darwin Nunez was deployed from the left, although that did change quite a lot in in a relatively fluid Uruguayan system, it was 4-2-2-2 off the ball, 4-3-3 on it, but then a uh, a change to the to the back three for probably midway through the first half and then throughout the second half as the game took shape. It did take a while for that game to um, settle down a little bit. South Korea were energetic at first, but then lapsed back into a... A decent counter-attacking display against what was a uh, very tough opponent in Uruguay. Uruguay essentially just trying to gain control. Couldn't really do so in the uh, in the opponent's half. Um, South Korea, they had five Kims at the back, two Huangs further afield. And Son Heung-min was the headline star of the 11, of course, making it after that fractured eye socket. They were mainly a 4-1-4-1 off the ball and uh, 4-2-3-1. On it with Son Heung-min cutting in from the uh, from the left, and really all day Uruguay failed to stretch the Koreans. They failed to move their defence about. Really, Kim Min Jae was a rock at the back, as you may expect from his from his season so far at uh, at Napoli there. And uh, Darwin Nunes did drift in ever so slightly, making it a a two up top with Luis Suarez as um, rather uh, Oliveira, the left back, would push up as opposed to a midfielder like a Fede Valverde or a Rodrigo Bentanka moving across as they had tended to do in a 4-2-2-2 formation in the past. But here, Bentanko was more so dropping in between Godin and Jimenez to provide a defensive three, um, which I'm not sure was entirely needed. But Uruguay did try and go long ball direct into the um, into the channels at times and it, it looked as though that was probably going to be Uruguay's avenue for a for a goal either that or from set pieces when Diego Godin hit the inside of the post from a header from a corner um, with a couple of minutes to spare in the first half and in the second half uh, Fede Valverde hit the outside of the post from uh, from distance crashing one and that was the closest either team Came really, it was a game of very, very, very few chances. Intriguing um, tactically, Uruguay just, they had enough of the ball, um, but the the organised defence in front of them, they just could not surpass it. Um, it was only really broken when Uruguay went direct, when Kim Jin Soo was caught further upfield, the uh, South Korean left back, which of course necessitated Son Hyun Min drifting in, looking to dictate play, which really didn't happen enough for um, for South Korea's liking. Um, I wasn't wholly convinced by Uruguay's shape going forward. Defensively, perfect. This is the, they're going to be tough to score against. They stereotyp- stereotypically take uh, defensive nous into this tournament, as they uh, often have tended to do in the not-too-distant past. They, in the second half, they did shift to a more permanent back three with Bentanko centre-back center with... Suarez and then Cavani being central. Darwin Nunez being a bit more narrow in his approach. Polistri pushing out wide um, with uh, Casares, the right wing back, who mainly mainly um, stayed where he was. And uh, Oliveira or Vina when he came on, pushing right the way upfield. And uh, they just didn't seem to get into any kind of groove. In theory, good shape for the players they have. Darwin Nunez, I'm 
convinced can be good from the left. He has played their time sometimes for Liverpool, but he's probably better known for his uh, exploits centrally. But with the legends of Suarez and Cavani, he's unlikely to find himself up top centrally. Maybe that's a plunge that uh, the Uruguayan manager will have to um, make for for La Celeste to be uh, successful at this tournament. Um, the shape defensively was... Uh, was fine. Um, Uruguay, you expect a degree of solidity, um, just like South Korea, you expect a degree of energetic pressing, which they certainly did uh, match in Uruguay in the first 45 minutes, certainly. Na San Ho was um, sprightly down the right-hand side against Oliveira. And South Korea, you got to say, edged probably the first maybe quarter, maybe first half an hour of the game. Um, Godin played a little bit deeper to... Uh, to really allow South Korea to counter early on, but with the back three, Uruguay pushed up a little bit, and it helps that South Korea probably got tired um, more so. Um, fortunately, Hwang Hyu Jo, he had South Korea's best chance, a game of few chances for, for South Korea. Uh, Song Kyu Min screwed one wide later on, but that was as really as close as South Korea got no real chances on target unfortunately and really of the best quote-unquote displays best defensive displays I've seen at this tournament uh, from the first 20-30 minutes of Australia to Saudi Arabia's superb uh, performance this is probably the best defensive display of this World Cup that's actually kept a clean sheet and they remained rigid against teams like Portugal and Ghana they're going to have to uh, continue to do that but going forward they're lacking a little bit of something they're very much a team that relies on Son Kyung-min's creativity uh, not as though they haven't got strength in depth by way of um, players to come off the bench we didn't see Hwang Hee-chan by uh, by the way, Wolves' zone, um, really they, they suffered as Canada did the previous night, lacking up top, bit scratchy, bit too chaotic up top. Um, blood seemed to uh, rush to the to their heads when they got into the final third first with some absolute mammoth players in the Uruguayan defence. And to be fair, you'd, something you'd expect, but they uh, should have tucked away at least one of the chances that they had. Uh, for Uruguay, next it is Portugal. Um, we'll definitely have to perform better on um, on Monday. Um, we'll have to be more dynamic, certainly, going forward. Um, they may have to sit off and counter, which may be to Uruguay's strengths. We saw um, they were better in the previous World Cup when they got to teams like Portugal and, uh, and France, as opposed to likes of... Egypt and uh, Russia, who they only claimed 1-0 wins out of, they were probably better against better teams. That may well be the case for Uruguay going forward. In terms of South Korea, they've got Ghana, and you'd expect more of the same with uh, more chances coming their way, more chances afforded to them in probably what will be a more open game. Um, four points is absolutely imperative prior to the uh, clash with Portugal to stay in this group. Take anything um, less than a uh, win into that game and uh, that, that last task between Paulo Bento, the South Korea manager, and his uh, homeland will be, uh, will be that much more difficult. And speaking of Portugal, well, we'll cover them in the last of our four games when they met Ghana in the third kickoff on Thursday. <laughs> Welcome back. And the penultimate game on Thursday in the final match we are going to cover on today's show. Portugal 3, Ghana 2. And what a madcap way 
to end a game of football it was after really uh, one of the more turgid first hours of football I can remember in this tournament. Right, how did we get to that point anyway? So the likes of Rafael Guerrero, Danilio were in defence for the Selecao, the Portuguese Selecao. Otavio and Neves in central midfield. João Felix made the front three, so quite a few surprises in and amongst there. Uh, meanwhile, Ghana, they played with the likes of Mohamed Kudus and Iñaki Williams, Mohamed Salasu as well, they all made it. Uh, Andre Ayu, the captain, he was in and after... Presumably quite a lot of, um, well, Jordan Ayew isn't well liked, put it that way. He didn't make the bench. He, he made the bench, but he didn't uh, start the game. He uh, came on for his brother, of course. Tariq Lamptey as well came off the bench to join him. Portugal, they were 4-3-3 as expected as, uh, well, Fernando Santos in perpetuity since the European Championship win has drilled them that way. Bernardo Silva, well, Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes, they tended to just swap positions between the right central midfield role and the right wing role. João Felix remained on the left um, and joins the press in the 4-4-2. Meanwhile, Ghana were pretty much 5-3-2. Um, Inaki Williams and Andre Ayu up front together, although Ayu would drop in to receive the ball on rare bouts of uh, possession for Ghana. Inaki Williams would um, be the, the little man up top when uh, Ghana had the ball and uh, Mohamed Kudus was... Uh, one of the few men to uh, break the lines for Ghana, really. Uh, really, the first half was just a show of Cristiano Ronaldo's rustiness. Uh, two chances came his way, two chances normally, which he would have buried, but uh, not today. Um, this allowed goal, which I felt was a little bit harsh. Uh, the defender was looking to go down, went down, bought the uh, referee there. Um, good finish, though, by Ronaldo. <laughs> um, perhaps got his... Uh, Misses out of the way for the second half, of course. And with the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva drifting in and out on the right-hand channel, the right half space, João Cancelo was there as well. It just dawns on me, really, that with a poor Portuguese performance in the first hour, they really seem to have a problem where successful club players that play together, Bernardo Silva and João Cancelo, often on different sides for Manchester City, they just seem to underperform for Portugal. And isn't that the way of golden generations? really. Um, Bruno Fernandes only really came into the game when Ghanaian heads kind of went and the game became more open when goals were introduced to the match. Ghana rather sleeping for the second goal, certainly for the third when uh, Bruno Fernandes had a simple enough assist for Rafael Liao in the end. Um, Portugal, well, both teams really, both had a feel of teams trying to get to grips with one another. Now, you can understand that sometimes with Ghana because they've made several new additions to the to the team. So Lamptey, we saw introduced from the bench. He's a, a, almost a new signing in Yaki Williams as well. Salis, who has only just returned to the national team. Mohamed Kudus as well. Uh, fairly young to the national team. But Portugal, they've got simply no excuses. This is basically the team that were at European Championships 18 months ago, 2018 World Cup. The majority of them were still there then, really, weren't they? The main parts of it anyway. Um, so it, it was just it was just bizarre that, that Portugal couldn't have any kind of fluidity. And the Bruno fernandez Bernardo Silva partnership is something that really needs a lot of work on. And I, I feel as though Joe Cancelo didn't really have his best game. He was at fault for Ghana's second goal towards the end of the game. Of course, 
Portugal. They all the focus will always be on what Cristiano Ronaldo is doing, and, and it wasn't a right lot to to be fair. And it shouldn't be in this team. The the rest of the players around him should be buzzing around him. Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, advancing fullbacks. Unfortunately, we didn't get uh, Nuno Mendes from the off here. João Cancelo should be that on the right hand side as well. And uh, João Felix was picked from the left, and I understand why he was picked because most of the game is going to be ahead of uh, Portugal you don't need the transitional play like Rafael Liao and to be fair João Felix offered very little until the until the goal the second goal Rafael Liao came off the bench with a seal on the game already broken after Cristiano Ronaldo's penalty of course Liao seemed to finish the game off but it was uh, a bit of a grandstand finish really for one reason or another uh, Liao looked really good when he came on and you've got to think that with a much better uh, bigger opponent better opponent certainly in Uruguay to come although they did flounder earlier on in the day that he has to start he has to start against what is in parts uh, an aging Uruguayan defense especially if they play Martin Casares on that left hand on that right hand side again him Liao running at Casares and Godin would be the stuff of absolute nightmares for the South Americans and would leave them in a bit of a pickle come the uh, third game with just one point if that does happen and Leao does star again. In terms of Ghana, they were just happy to sit off and see what Portugal do in the first half, first hour really. They were direct when they went forward. Iñaki was staying up top. Kudus really drove on more in the second half um, in what is, I'd say, his better position as a number 10. It was sometimes a uh, three... 3-4-1-2, depending on if Ghana had the ball or not in terms of what Andre Ayew would do, um, certainly. Um, it did offer a lot, provided Ayew with the equaliser after all, and um, the right-back Sedu, although very fortunate to stay on the pitch, it would have been the World Cup this year's first red card if he'd have uh, seen red for two yellows in quick succession. I'm stunned his headbutt on Zhao Felix wasn't given a second yellow, but uh, there we are. The, the challenge for the, the for the first yellow card wasn't... Um, I don't think it was a yellow card anyway, so it's probably, uh, probably about right on the uh, the average of things, really. He was pretty good in, in the second half, breaking from the lines, breaking from the pack a lot more aggressive than these... Uh, than his compatriot on the left-hand side. And to be fair, Ghana got uh, the second goal from a break uh, when all seemed fairly lost, 3-1 down to Portugal in the last few minutes. Of course, this is the World Cup of added time. So with nine minutes, 10 minutes stoppage time added on, as it as it turned out, um, Ghana still had plenty of time to get that third goal. And it was a bit of a grandstand finish. Before the second goal, this Portugal performance reminded me a lot of the Netherlands in the uh, first couple of days of the tournament, only beating Senegal 2-0. All the uh, goals in this game came in the last 25 minutes. Of course, the Dutch picked off the uh, the, Neville, the the Senegalese team with two goals in the last six minutes um, after what was a poor performance by the Dutch. This was very similar, but once the <laughs> everything that happened in the last 10 minutes happened, it had more vibes of that chaotic Portugal 3-Hungary three, 3 game from Euro 2016 where Hungary were always going in front of Portugal, just biting back to get level and draw level and go into the next phase. And this would have been that, but the reverse fortunes for Portugal always being pegged back. And... Really, the one of the most dramatic moments of the tournament, though, so far. The camera was away, and all you hear is just gasps from the stadium, and Ali McCoy is absolutely creasing as uh, Diogo Costa just drops the ball. Scenes of um, pick a player, any player, 
likes of um, Shea Given and Dion Dublin, uh, <laughs> Marriott for Birmingham with Robbie Keane. He drops the ball, doesn't realise Inaki Williams is behind him. He steals the ball and slips at the crucial moment when he had an open net to uh, put the ball into. And what was a, a shocking game for the first hour? It, <laughs> the last 25 minutes were incredible, an incredible watch. Uh, probably the least 3-2 match I've ever seen in my life, but um, it, it did have his entertainment towards the end. It certainly did. Um, it really, the first hour, it, it really follows this path after the shocks that we've seen earlier on in this tournament. Big teams scared, terrified of doing a, a Germany and Argentina. And both those teams seemed as though they were cruising into a win in halftime, 1-0 up. And smaller teams, in some cases, lacking quality to pick them off. Seen it with uh, Cameroon earlier, Canada yesterday, um, numerous teams like Tunisia, etc. as well. Um, just lacking that extra little bit of quality. Ghana seemed to have some good qualities on the transition that they showed in the second half. Will cause problems against the likes of Uruguay and South Korea. So they're not out of it just yet. And even though it is five African games, five failures to win, and Ghana are the only team that scored from Africa. Um, I think they've got good hopes going into the next two games. Uruguay didn't look much of anything, really, in the previous game. They could be confident about revenge. And the only thing that I think stops me from predicting Ghana do well in that game is that game is a lot bigger for Ghana than it is for Uruguay, obviously, given the history. In terms of Portugal, well, they've got Uruguay next and a win. It's a similar situation to England, really. A win in their second match day sends them through. Already feels like... Group F, really, in a group that is for absolutely anybody to uh, go and grasp, really, especially with this chaotic win that Portugal have um, that have sealed today. And um, really, with a Uruguay win, Uruguay point even, the, the group is right up for grabs yet again. And you wouldn't put anything past any result happening in this group, to be honest. And that is just why we love the World Cup, don't we? And speaking of the World Cup, well, match day two starts today. So naturally, we're going to preview the four games that are on today with the return of Qatar, Senegal, Netherlands, Ecuador, England, USA and Wales, Iran, of course. Catch you in a brief moment. Welcome back and we'll end things with a wee cheeky preview towards Friday's action, the start of match day two in the 2022 World Cup. It's come by quicker than ever, hasn't it? So first off in Group A, we have Qatar versus Senegal. We have Netherlands versus Ecuador. And despite failing to score, despite failing to trouble the Dutch in the first game, I feel as though this could be the game that um, finds some joy for the Senegalese. We all know about their individual talents and the fact that, yes, they may be missing Sadio Mane, um, but against what was a shoddy Qatar team in the opener, they should have uh, more than enough to breeze past them. Now, we will learn a lot more about Qatar. You may think the, there was a lot of pressure on the Qatar team to perform well in the opener and obviously the 12-year the wait to host this tournament may have weighed down a lot on those 11 players on the pitch. Tactically, um, I think Qatar could be... Uh, they, they are set up okay. Um, and it's just players-wise, talent-wise, do they have enough to trouble Senegal? I would say probably not. Um, and Senegal, well, they, they do need a win because in the other game, it's Netherlands versus Ecuador. And essentially, who wins this game 
goes through and probably tops the group you'd imagine. It's the Group A game I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I don't think we could probably judge Ecuador yet because of one, the opponent level, and we don't know if Qatar, a bit like Iran, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, whether they were weighed down by off-field um, circumstances and maybe Qatar will come back, maybe Iran will come back and prove quite a good uh, outfit in this second group game. Uh, unlikely in the case of Qatar, but uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that gives Ecuador a lot more uh, credence going into this game against the Dutch, who weren't firing on all cylinders, but then again, you don't need to be in the first group game. And to be fair for the Netherlands, they've landed themselves in quite a uh, profitable group, it would seem. Um, problems can be caused with Ecuador's 4-4-2 direct counter-attacking system. Um, the Netherlands, too, um, can be quite good on the counter. You'd hope that Memphis Depay starts because I think that's what was lacking a lot in the Dutch's um, first game. Frankie Dong will have to be absolutely on it against this Ecuador team. And obviously, box to box, he's the midfield engine room for the Dutch. I'd like to see uh, Teu Miners as well start alongside him and probably Yuri and Timber on the right side of defence interchanging or rather covering for Denzel Dumfries a lot more. But we'll see all that as well. And hopefully, hopefully they all will... Um, come together and make for quite the uh, prospecting group. And essentially, if if there's a winner there, they they will be through, I would have uh, imagined. Barring any, Senegal versus Ecuador, shenanigans in the third group game. And then we go on to group B, England versus the United States of America, Wales versus Iran, of course. And the main event, certainly, is uh, England versus USA. USA, a team that the three Lions have failed to beat at a World Cup in uh, two occasions first in 1950 which was categorically one of the biggest shocks at the world cup in its history when a part-time american team led by a haitian in um Gaitian's, uh scored the winning goal against uh england of course and then the rob green howler in 2010 uh led to a draw in the opener of uh of that tournament. In terms of uh, England, the major news story is Harry Kane. Will he be fit? Won't he be fit? Well, the news is certainly positive, um, especially so given uh, Harry Kane's ankle problems. The scan that he uh, had was deemed to be um, only a cautionary one, and uh, he will start as expected. And um, America, I think the main thing to take away from them is Yes, they will press, they will be incessant in the first half, but will they fade away again just as they did in the second half with Wales? Harry Kane may have to play a little bit different. We saw that um, USA couldn't really handle Kiefer Moore in the uh, in the first game. Maybe Harry Kane will be a bit more of a target man, but it's unlikely, isn't it, really? You should see him really, really troubling the likes of Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa dropping in and um, feeding, really, the wings, which, which is easily the the uh, where the match this match will be won you, you know Serginio Dest Anthony Robinson they love to plow forward out wide but obviously you have got some danger men out wide for England Bakayo Saka and Raheem Sterling you'd expect given their performances in the first game will start again maybe hand the reins over to Phil Foden Jack Grealish Marcus Rashford given the chance or really capitalize on those that sort of talent from the bench in the second half to uh, seal the game um, I can't see anything but an England win, given how, yes, America are very vibrant. I think they're going to be a very good team in 2026. And let's be fair, they can still qualify from this group if they don't take too much of a, a defeat here. And of course, it could still trouble England and get a point. Let's uh, 
Let's be right about that one. Um, it does entirely depend on what happens earlier on in the day. And the early kickoff is Wales versus Iran. What Iran will we get? Surely they can't play any worse. The worst that could have possibly happened to them has already happened. Um, against a Wales team who looks to sit in as well and counter just like Iran, it could be, it could be fairly dull. But um, this is... So far, probably the most crucial game of the group because it entirely infers what happens and what can happen in the later game um, between England and America. Say if this is a draw, England can win the group with a win later on Friday. If it's an Iran win, that can throw all kinds of uh, spanners in the works for for all teams, really, depending on the, the, the later result. And a Wales win will, you'd expect, given, um, given what's... Um, USA are likely to do, um, could see them through given uh, any number of uh, high-level victory there. Um, I think with the way the game finished against USA, maybe you'll go up top with uh, Kiefer Moore this time, um, especially since Iran will look to sit in and sit deep. It won't be a game for Dan James or Brennan Johnson running in behind the defence because we know Iran will sit incredibly deep, incredibly low block. You'll need a Kiefer Moore on there to get his head on things. So too Gareth Bale as well, by the way. They'll probably play a 3-5-2 again and um, hope to punish Iran from wide areas, swinging crosses into the box, maybe from a couple of set pieces as well. Uh, it was a big rivalry for the final game for Wales. They'll need to get some points on the board to get a win before that England game to uh, set themselves up, hopefully, and a, a big 2-3-0 win, 4-0 win, maybe. It's unlikely to be 4, let's be fair. Um, could set them up, win, lose, or draw to qualify um, in the uh, third match day there. But Iran don't write them off yet. They have got um, some good plays going forward. You hang bash, of course, on the uh, right-hand side. I like to see Asmoon and um, Taremi play alongside one another in a two, maybe to match Wales as well, maybe cause some problems. We, we've seen what uh, maybe Taremi did to uh, to England in the uh, in the first game, albeit when the game was uh, was done and he is a a problem for uh, for Wales on on potential counterattacks and they will counter Wales just as Wales uh, will likely threaten Iran as well and that's even though it was six two in the first game do not write Iran off they could become quite troublesome and hopefully um, whilst off the field issues won't have settled down by any measure. They will have hopefully cleared the air amongst themselves and feel that there's nothing left to lose here after shipping six goals in the first game. And we'll probably see a completely different Iran in the uh, in this game here this morning. So that's all we've got time for today on today's show. Look forward to seeing all of those four contests. Netherlands, Ecuador especially, of course, the uh, the final game as well. England versus USA. And we'll be back tomorrow to cover all four of those games in depth. Until then, thank you very much for listening and watching over there on YouTube if you did. And until next time, see the Up the Three Lions and Cymru Am Bif. Podcast Network. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.